Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and shout unto the Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. Well, praise the Lord, Strong Tower. Yes, the Lord is awesome and he is worthy of all of our praise. So would you turn now in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13? And as you're turning to Luke 13, I have a confession to make. And we know that confession is good for the soul, but is bad for the reputation. But I hope you won't think less of me after I make this confession. Now, as you are watching me, you are watching me on Sunday morning, November 8th, 2020. But I have recorded this sermon on Thursday, November 5th, 2020, and it's a little after 12 noon. So therefore, it's not live. Uh, and the reason why we do this is because when the coronavirus invaded our atmosphere and changed our lives as we knew it, uh, we had to go to a place where I preached on Thursdays, had the message downloaded to those who do all of the editing. And I'm speaking of Sister Amy Wolf and Brother Thomas Stewart. And it takes hours upon hours upon hours for them to edit these messages and to have them downloaded so that they can be ready for Sunday. It's a very tedious process. And so uh, I am here on Thursday, which means I do not know who the next president of the United States is. Because before I came to preach, both men, both candidates, Trump and Biden, had a pathway to the 270 electoral college votes needed in order to gain the presidency. But at this time, at the time of my recording this, neither one of them have re has reached 270 electoral college votes. So prayerfully, by the time you watch this sermon, sermon there will be a definitive winner for the presidency of our country. But as it stands right now, I don't know who the president of the United States is. And as you also know, I've been in a series speaking about the sovereignty of God in the midst of our country's political process. And so I believe that this is a timely word. As a matter of fact, the message that I'm going to preach today, I was supposed to preach back in October. And right when I was about to preach it, I had to scrap it because I discovered that the president had contracted the coronavirus. So therefore, I changed my message to prayers for the president. 
And so many of you remember that message. We prayed that God would heal him. We also prayed that God would humble him. We prayed that God would make him holy. We prayed that he would have a heart change. We prayed that he would be helpful. Well, as a result of our prayers, we know God heard at least one of those prayers, and that is God healed his body physically. And we're continuing to pray for those other elements that we would like to see in our leader because we have been told in the word of God to pray for our leaders. Now, there were people who were upset with me because I dared to pray for a man who has hurt so many people. But I'm so glad I don't answer to men. I answer to God. And so I set the sermon aside that I was going to preach and I preached. Let's pray for the president. But now I'm going to grab the sermon that I was going to preach in that on that Sunday morning in October. And I'm going to preach it now because I believe that it's pertinent based on what we have been seeing in President Trump. OK, so now I'm not aiming because if I was aiming, I would have went on and preached what I was supposed to preach back in October. But I put it aside because I submit to the Holy Spirit and not to my will at least not all the time. So I surrendered my will and I said, yes, Lord, I'll preach this because there are already people who think that if you oppose the president, that means you hate the president or that I, Chris Williamson, hate the president because I don't support him. No, no, no. I don't hate the man. I love the man. And if he were in my uh, 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 sphere of influence, I would love him enough to tell him the truth. But I also love him enough to to preach the truth concerning him. And so I had a message then that I was going to preach that would have been misinterpreted had I preached it then. But I'm going to preach it now. And it still might be misinterpreted, but that's OK, because, again, I answer to God and not to man. So when we think about President Donald Trump, there are Christians who have called him God's anointed. God's anointed. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that he is God's anointed. I believe God, uh, uh, Trump is God's instrument, not God's anointed. Th that kind of terminology was used for kings like David, um, men who had a heart after God's own heart. And David, who sat on the throne to which one of his descendants, Christ, would sit on David's throne and the ultimate fulfillment of, of, of the kingdom of God. Uh, to, so to call David uh, God's anointed is understandable, but to call Donald Trump God's anointed is not understandable to me. I do believe, however, he is God's instrument. And as God's instrument, God will play him. God will play him just like God played Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. God will play Donald Trump and has played Donald Trump as he played King Nebuchadnezzar, that evil, wicked, idolatrous king who led the nation of Babylon. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 27, verse six, that God said Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. So even though Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked, ungodly and evil king, God said he's my servant or in other words, he's my instrument and I'm going to play him and I'm going to use him for my glory and for my purposes. And I believe Donald Trump is God's instrument and God is using him, I believe, in order to show people who they are and in order to show us who other people are based on Donald Trump, because there are many so-called Christians 
who have a blind allegiance to him that borders on idolatry and personality worship that they have lost their objectivity, that for them it appears that they are trying to bring in a kingdom of American nationalism as opposed to ushering in the kingdom of God. And people like me who are not loyal to either party, I am nonpartisan, I stand in the middle ready to speak the truth in love to either party, either side, right or left. And when someone like me doesn't bow down to the president, I respect the office, but I do not respect the man because of his lack of integrity. I love him, but I don't respect him. And when people come along, they say, how can you be like that? Well, I haven't drank the Kool-Aid like you drink the Kool-Aid. And I believe that I have biblical precedence to hold the view that I hold and to say what I'm about to say in this message. Pastor Chris, what do you mean? You need to watch yourself because you do know that he has been ordained by God. So that means you need to be careful. Well, let me tell you something. Yes, Romans 13 does say that every leader, whether wicked or godly, whether righteous or unrighteous, every leader from the beginning of time until now, they have uh, 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 acquired their authority because of God. They have been ordained by God. So yes, Donald Trump is ordained by God to be the president of the United States, at least for his first term. But that does not mean that I cannot respectfully rebuke him. That does not mean that I cannot correctly criticize him. That does not mean that I can't uh, uh, pray that people hold him accountable. Uh, uh, so, so just because he's ordained, that doesn't mean that he can't be held accountable or correctly criticized or respectfully rebuked. Why? Because he's a, a human being. He's a man just like me. And therefore, he's susceptible to falling and he needs to be held accountable, just like I need to be held accountable and everything in between. And so when I think about how Jesus ministered, Jesus had no problem calling out political leaders of his day, calling them out in such a way where many people would say, that's harsh what Jesus just said and what Jesus just did. For instance, in Luke chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus took it upon himself to call King Herod a fox, a fox. And brothers and sisters, that was not a compliment. <laughs> that was a critique of his character, of Herod's character, that Herod was a fox. And if for you uh, um, th that doesn't fit into your uh, understanding of who Jesus is, that that seems out of character for Christ, that 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 just seems a little, again, too harsh for your loving Jesus to do and to say, that just tells me you haven't really read the Bible. You haven't really read the Gospels to know what Jesus is like. Yes, he's a lamb, but he's also a lion. Yes, he is the Lord, but he is also the prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18, who was prophesied to come. And as a prophet, Jesus was not afraid to speak truth to power. And in the passage that we will dissect today, Jesus not only called Herod a fox, but he's also going to challenge the religious leaders who supported King Herod. You see, when Jesus would use harsh words, 
He would use harsh words for religious folks, not for non-religious people or lost people or people who were outside of all of the religious things associated with Israel. But no, Jesus saved his harshest words for people who ought to know better. And so that's why he would call the Pharisees some names as well. Names like blind guides and whitewashed sepulchers, fools, uh, a brood of vipers, and his favorite term for them, hypocrites. And, and these would be followed many times with an exclamation point. So Jesus didn't have a problem calling people out in love to their faces, or in this case, as we're going to see uh, to Herod, even though Herod was not present in that moment, Jesus still called him out. And so I want to be like Jesus. I want to preach like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to live my life like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is helping me do that. And he's helping you do that, too, if you do know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior. So today I'm going to preach the way Jesus preached, because we have a fox, not in the hen house, but a fox in the White House. Now, before you think, again, I'm being partisan. Let's just say uh, Joe Biden becomes president, the next president of the United States. Well, if he starts acting like a fox, he's going to get called out, too, because God's word is a sharp two edged sword. And as I'm going to say to you today, I am not in the pocket of any politician or any political party. I, I belong to God and I'm going to speak God's word and I'll let the consequences and the chips fall where they may again, because I answer to God. So this is not because I have an ax to grind with Donald Trump. No, no, no. I want to preach the word of God because God is no respecter of persons. And he expects his pastors every now and then to have a prophetic mantle. Again, I was going to preach this in October, but God says, no, pray for the man. But now it's a different day and I need to preach this message. Today, I'm going to prove from scripture that to call out a degenerate leader is to be like Jesus. That's right. To not be deceived by a duplicitous leader is to be like Jesus and to not be intimidated by the religious people who support a lying and cheating and conniving leader is also to be like Jesus. And so I'm going to uh, go through three points today. So stick with me. Point number one from Luke 13. We're going to see the cowardice of the Pharisees to work for a fox. The cowardice of the Pharisees to work for a fox. Secondly, we will see today the courage of Jesus to call out a fox. And then thirdly, we will see the confidence of Jesus to ignore a fox. So permit me today with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit to preach a message entitled, Don't Let That Fox or His Followers Fool You. That's right. Don't let that fox or his followers fool you. And if I'm going to talk about a fox, because Jesus called King Herod a fox, I've got to at least give you five characteristics of a fox so that we can kind of understand what we're working with. 
characteristic number one of a fox is that foxes are om omnivores. That means they eat everything. They eat plants and they eat animals. But usually the animals that they eat are smaller than they are, which is why they like to hang out in hen houses to take advantage of smaller and weaker animals. So that means that foxes are bullies. Secondly, foxes are nocturnal. This means they operate best and most at night. They rarely come out in the day because they sleep in the day. They are night creatures and they live in holes. Thirdly, foxes are dangerous because they love to pounce on unsuspecting prey. They love to come up behind unsuspecting prey and pounce on them because they have retractable claws, sharp canine teeth, which means they are members, listen to this, of the dog family. I did not know that until I started studying that foxes are members of the dog family. Fourth, foxes are destructive creatures, especially if you have a vineyard. They will destroy vineyards and they will plunder the grapes. And we see this in Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15. And finally, and most importantly, foxes are cunning. Or in other words, they are crafty. And we know based on Genesis chapter three, that the devil is described as being crafty and subtle and slick and conniving. And so foxes are cunning. This means that they are skilled at achieving their objectives and they do so by trickery. So, so if they're out to get something, they're going to get it and they get it by trickery, deceit or evasion. And in most cultures around the world, a fox, when it is depicted, is depicted as a symbol of mischief and trickery. So when other countries around the world, other cultures depict foxes and tell of stories that include foxes, most of the times foxes are seen as villainous types of creatures. And so Jesus described Herod as a fox because obviously Herod took on many of these qualifications. Therefore, these five traits that spoke of Herod then a politician can also speak of politicians now that they have fox like qualities. So as I come to the text today, my first point that I want to get into is the cowardice of the Pharisees to work for a fox. Now, I got to give you some context, which means I got to go back and begin reading at verse 22 of Luke chapter 13. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible reads, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, 
Lord, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. So to set the context, someone asked the Lord, do a lot of people go to heaven? And based on Jesus's answer, the answer is no. Only a few people will go to heaven. Many people will not make it to heaven because they are workers of iniquity. They are religious people, or as Paul would say, they have a form of godliness, but there is no power of relationship with God in their lives. And as Jesus said in Matthew seven, the road that leads to hell is wide and there are many on that road, but the road that leads to heaven is straight and narrow and only few find it. And as Jesus gave the parable of the, of the soil and the seed, only one soil of the four soils, 25% produce fruit. So therefore the people who go to heaven, it's a small number. It is few that go. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to say not only will Jewish people make it there, but people from the north, south, east and west Gentiles will come and sit down with the Hebrew patriarchs in the kingdom of God. And we know a lot of Jewish people have a problem with those people, but God has called those people to come. There are other sheep that he's calling into the sheepfold, not just Israel. There's one shepherd and it's the Lord. And there are people who have a problem with those people. Therefore, they have a problem with God. How can you say you love God whom you cannot see and yet hate your brother whom you do see? The love of God doesn't exist in you. And so we see Jesus talking about God's diverse kingdom. As a matter of fact, not only is he talking about ethnicity, but he's also talking about uh, uh, um, culture and, and, and economics. Why? Because he's saying that with his kingdom coming, those who are first down here will be last in the things of God. And those who are last down here will be first in the kingdom of God. So therefore, what Jesus just preached and what Jesus just said was not a popular message in his day and in his time, which leads to verse 31. On that very day, the Bible says, and some versions say at that very hour, after he preaches this word that only a few people will truly go to heaven and the people you cast out are the ones that God is taking in. And God is not only saving Jews, he's saving Gentiles and all those people have done religious works. God's going to say, I don't know you. So therefore, that message offended some folks, especially the Pharisees, the religious establishment of the day. So on that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. So to me, the timing can't be questioned here 
because he preaches such a powerful word and the people who would be most offended by that word come up to him and tell him to leave town. What's going on here? Well, let's see if we can break it down. My first question is, how did the Pharisees know that Herod wanted to kill Jesus? Because that's what they said to him. Get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. And my question is, how did y'all know that? <laughs> it must mean that you have regular conversations with him to know what he wants and what he says. And so the religious leaders are meeting with the political leader and the political leader says that he wants to kill Jesus. And so Jesus even knew that they not only met with, G uh, with Herod, but I'm going to say that Jesus even knew that they were pawns of Herod, that they worked for Herod, because Jesus is going to say to them in verse 33, go and tell that fox. I got some words. Go, go and tell him because I know you're in cahoots with him because you came from him. And now I'm going to send you back to him because you preachers are nothing but puppet preachers on a politician's payroll. Y'all are puppet preachers on a politician's payroll. So therefore, go back and, and, and take this message to him. Yes, yes, yes. You see, these men were cowards. They were cowards. Um, they had sold their souls. They had lost their conviction to do what is right and to stand up for God. And they're working for this politician against God's anointed, against God's son, Jesus Christ. And when I think about a coward, a coward is a weak and fearful person who lacks courage and conviction. So these spiritual leaders are nothing but cowards because they're nothing but pets and pawns on a leash from King Herod. And Jesus says, go back and tell that king, I, I got some words for him. Matter of fact, start off by calling him a fox. And that's right. I said it. He's a fox. You see, the puppet preachers wanted Jesus to leave the region for a reason. Why? Because they wanted Jesus to come across looking like he was a coward. But no, they are the cowards, not the Lord. They wanted Jesus to flee at uh, the sound of a death threat so that they could try to discredit his ministry and say that Jesus is a coward. But no, they are the cowards. Let me read to you something from the book of Nehemiah chapter six to prove this point. Nehemiah chapter six, beginning at verse 10. Nehemiah says, afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. So stop and pause. We know now that he's an informer because Nehemiah figured that out. But at that time, Nehemiah didn't know that. But this man is coming on behalf of Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies of Nehemiah and the enemies of God's people. But these guys found some folks that they could buy. 
some informants uh, who could be double agents, who could go in and get close to Nehemiah and say to Nehemiah, they are coming for you. My question is, how do you know that they are coming unless you are conspiring with them? So he says they are coming. And, and, and if I were Nehemiah, I would say, well, what did you say to them? Since you're, you're coming on their behalf, I hope you stood up for me and spoke to them for me. But no, you're coming to me for them trying to get me to run into the temple and grab the horns of the altar to do something cowardly. Let's see what Nehemiah says in verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. So once again, in the Gospel of Luke, when the Pharisees come to Jesus, they're not concerned about Jesus's welfare and his safety. No, they want Jesus to flee and run so that they can reproach his character and his ministry and say that he was a coward. You see, when puppet preachers are on the payroll, they will prophesy lies. They will forecast premature victories. Their theology will be heretical. They will never challenge the leader's wickedness because they're on the payroll. They will never call the leader out because they're in it to get benefits and to sit at the king or the president's table. And the president or the king knows you're not going to call me out because you're too busy getting benefits off of me. They won't tell the emperor that he has no clothes on. They are more politically savvy than they are spiritually correct. And these guys are not only working with Herod, but John's gospel lets us know they're working with Pilate and they use politics in order to get Jesus killed. So these men are politically savvy, but they're not spiritual at all. And they will oppose any preacher like Jesus who opposes them and especially their leader. There are many uh, comparisons to what I see going on today in the so-called Christian church. And when I think of Donald Trump, Donald Trump is problematic, but he is not the main problem. I said when he was running for the presidency that it's not so much him and his ignorance and his um, uh, arrogance and his racism that concerns me. It's the people who blindly support him and make excuses for his behavior that is inexcusable. Those are the people that, that for me are the bigger problem and they're the bigger problem for the nation. Once again, in my opinion, these folks who are often classified as white evangelical Christians, they created Frankenstein because when he said Trump said during the primaries, I can kill a man on Fourth Avenue and still go up in points. When he talked about grabbing women by their private parts and still not lose the church or Christian or evangelical vote, 
I knew a problem was stirring and that they had created a monster because Trump saw early that these Christian folks will not hold him accountable, will not rebuke him. So therefore, it's like raising a petulant child that you never discipline. That child is going to act crazy and act out because there's no fear of reprimand or consequences. And there are no evangelicals from Franklin Graham to Robert Jeffress, any of them who will rebuke this president. Instead, they will move the goalposts and make excuses for this president, things that they would never do for previous presidents. Trump knows they'll make excuses and make changes for him. And that's wrong. That's wrong. These men today are cowards. Matter of fact, um, white evangelical Christianity is nothing but modern day white supremacy in disguise. And many of these preachers have traded in their white hoods for white pickup trucks. And they ride around terrorizing people, innocent people, people who are in a blue state or vote blue. They ride around in the name of Trump because this is what Trump endorses. And I don't know about those preachers, but this preacher is going to call it out and say that it's wrong and it's evil. And it's going to, to, to cause a lot more people to get hurt. So these men are cowards. Secondly, I need you to see the courage of Jesus to call out a fox. Look at verse 32. It says, and he said to them, go tell that fox. So the puppet preachers came saying, Herod wants to kill you. Jesus, who's courageous, turns around and says, well, you go and tell that fox. I'm not going anywhere. Let, let, let me read a little further in the text. Jesus says, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus was not afraid of Herod. Jesus was not afraid to die. But knowing that his steps are ordered and he must fulfill prophecy, Jesus knows that the Messiah must not die in Galilee under Herod, but must die in Jerusalem on a cross. And so Jesus is like, I know where I am. I'm not afraid. I know I'm in Herod's territory, but I'm not afraid to speak the truth to him in his backyard. Why? Because Jesus is courageous. Uh, because we've had preachers today who will not speak the truth about Donald Trump or to Donald Trump because they're puppet preachers. And uh, but but not Jesus. Jesus is like, look, 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 go tell him, tell that fox. I will leave here when I'm ready to leave here. I know where I am. And many years ago, when the, the, the rap culture had this East Coast, West Coast war and rivalry going on. The Source Awards, which is an award to honor these hip hop artists, was held in New York City. So all of the guys from the West Coast had to come to the East Coast for the program. And uh, Snoop Dogg and Suge Knight and all of these infamous figures and characters from the West Coast who were causing a lot of the friction with Tupac, uh, or rather with Biggie, 
and, and all of that. Uh, so, so all this war. And so Snoop Dogg stood up and he began to lecture an East Coast crowd, even though he was from the West Coast. And in the midst of that, he was getting booed by the people in New York City because of this East Coast, West Coast thing. And Snoop Dogg, as skinny as he was, said, do y'all think I'm afraid? I know where I am. I'm in New York City and I'm not afraid to run my mouth like this. I know where I am. Now I'm here to let you know Snoop wasn't that brave when he said what he said. You know why? Because Snoop Dogg had bodyguards and he was gonna get out of that area in New York and get on a plane and go back out west. So you can boast a lot when you know you got people backing you up. But here Jesus is making a claim because the 12 dudes who are with him, he can't count on them to go to blows and really defend him. We know what happens when Jesus got arrested. They ran, all of them did. So Jesus is not surrounded by bodyguards. He's surrounded by some disciples who are trying to grow in their faith. But Jesus knows that God the Father is with him and he fears no man. And he knows, look, my times are in the hands of God. And so I have the courage to call this guy out in his backyard, in his territory and call him to his face. And when I leave, it's not because I'm leaving because I'm afraid. I'm leaving because I have an appointment to keep in Jerusalem. I'm leaving because there's more work to do in the next town by way of taking care of people. So when you see me go, don't think that I left because I was afraid or that my tail was tucked between my legs. No, I'm leaving because it's time for me to go. I'm not leaving because I'm afraid to be in this community. Oh, we need more preachers who will be courageous like Jesus. But let me say this. Jesus called Herod a fox. Jesus called Herod a fox. And if my desire is to be like Jesus, can I not call Donald Trump or any other president a fox if they display fox like characters and qualities? I believe that I can based on the authority of the word and on the example of my savior that I can do what he did and say what he said. So therefore, when I think about President Trump, he does act like a fox and I can call him out because he has been deceitful. And he has also uh, on Tuesday night, he prematurely declared victory in terms of the presidency, but yet he turned around and said that the system was flawed and to stop counting votes in certain areas, areas populated by black people like in Atlanta, Georgia, but keep the count going in white populated areas like in Arizona. And so that's a fox. That's being cunning. That's being tricky. Matter of fact, if we go back before the actual election, he already said you can't trust mail in ballots. He already uh, stopped the Postal Service from 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 having as many locations as they used to by limiting their locations, causing voter suppression to take place. So this man is conniving. He's he, he is sneaky. But yet Christians applaud him and think he's God's anointed. Please come on with that. You drank the Kool-Aid. So I have the authority to call him out. Even when he says that the voting process is flawed, I have the authority to call him out. And even when he says that if he loses, uh, he can't guarantee 
that there will be a peaceful transfer of power the way that it has happened traditionally in our country year after year. This man says, who cares about tradition? Who cares about showing that it's about democracy and respectability in this republic? He says, no, I'm going to contest it and fight it. That's a fox. And if those folk won't call him out, I will. But not only calling him a fox, I believe I have the authority from Jesus to also call him a serial liar. Why? Because that's the truth. I have the authority to also call him an accused rapist. Over 20 women have accused him of raping them. And where there's smoke, there's got to be fire. And no longer can the office of the presidency protect him from past indiscretions and assaults on women. And that may be another reason he's wanting to hold on to the presidency. I don't know, but I know that God knows. But another thing I can call him, I can call him without any equivocation, a racist. I can call him a racist. Now, when I say that, there are many Christians who say, oh, no, he's not a racist. Well, that usually means we have different definitions of what a racist is, because I'm here to say if Donald Trump is not a racist, please show me who is. And usually with these people, no one is a racist except for the black man who calls out the racism of a racist. They'll then call me a race baiter or a racist. Do you see the irony and the hypocrisy in that? But again, I believe that stems from white supremacy and this uh, uh, mentality and belief of white innocence and white purity that white folks can't be and do those things. But I'm here to let you know that's a lie. Mm. So when we think about race being a racist, we're talking about a person who not only has prejudice, but a person who can channel and act out their pre prejudice because they have power to do so, because they sit in or on top of an institution that serves various people groups that the person in power has prejudice against. So what is racism? Racism is prejudice plus power. It is acting out in an evil way against people strictly on the basis of appearance, strictly on the basis of their ethnicity. And when we think about racism, this is the man who, before becoming president, he showed a racist thoughts and tendencies and actions towards several people. So when we start talking about racism, why don't we ask the Central Park Five if he is a racist? And let's hear what they've got to say. Now they are the exonerated five. But for years, he said that they were rapists and that they deserved to die, get the death penalty because they had raped a white woman in Central Park. And even when the evidence came out to say that these five men did not do it, the, 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 this man did not recant in his story. He's maintained that they are guilty. If you are wondering if this man is a racist, don't ask white folks who don't think no one is a racist, why don't you ask the black people in New York who he would not rent to uh, in terms of when he had real estate there, that he uh, purposefully did not rent to black people. That's racism. 
That's using your, your power to hurt people and to keep people out. Ask the black NFL players when he called them SOBs if he's racist. Ask the country of Haiti when he called it an S-hole nation if they think he's a racist. Or ask the other African countries that he called S-hole nations. Oh, God's anointed, but talking like that. Ask them if they think that he is a racist. Ask the people from Mexico whom he called racists and, and gang bangers and drug smugglers that the size of their calves allow them to, to, to pack drugs into their calves. All of these kinds of things that he said against the people of Mexican descent and the country of Mexico. Ask them if they think he is a racist. Ask President Obama when Trump constantly denied his citizenship, saying that he was not qualified to be president because he was not born in America. And he came up with the whole birther theory that Barack Obama was born in Africa, not here. And he went on and on with that. And even when Barack Obama's birth certificate was produced, proving that he was born in Hawaii, President Trump did not accept it, did not believe it, and he surely did not recant or apologize for all of the stress and the trouble that he brought upon the Obama family with that. Ask them if they think he's a racist. Ask uh, the Latino judge who Trump called incompetent and did not want to have this man weigh in on a, a, a trial because of his ethnicity. Ask that judge if he thinks Trump is a racist. Ask Kamala Harris when he called her a monster if she thinks he's a racist. Ask people from Islamic countries whom he banned, ask them if they think he's a racist. Ask Asian people whom he blamed that the virus came into the country from and he called it the Kung Fu virus and the China virus. Ask them if they think he is a racist. And ask black people in Atlanta whose votes he doesn't want counted. Ask them if they think he's a racist. Once again, if Donald Trump is not a racist, I don't know who is. A white brother in our church recently said, I don't need Donald Trump to convince me he doesn't support white supremacists. I need him to convince white supremacists he doesn't support white supremacists. And so to make statements like that, and to do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said, it takes courage in a preacher, in a pastor. But thirdly, and finally, let's look at the confidence of Jesus to ignore a fox. We've seen the cowardice of the Pharisees to work for a fox. We've seen the courage of Jesus to call out a fox. And now the confidence of Jesus to ignore a fox. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 32. I'll read it again. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures. Or that means I'm healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. 
Well, Jesus would leave the region. But as I mentioned, not because he was afraid of Herod, but because he had work to do, which is what we talked about last week. We can't get caught up in all this political stuff because we've got work to do. But every now and then a pastor must speak prophetically and call out our leaders in the name of Jesus and in a spirit of love. But Jesus said, man, I've got to go because there are sick people who need to be made well. I need to leave because there are people who need to have the gospel preached to them because Jesus ministry and his mission were too important to allow detractors and distractions to get him off course. So Jesus was operating with a plan and he could not be distracted and he could not be uh, have his ministry detracted from by engaging with folks who would really be a waste of his time. Um, and that's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, we need to know when to answer a fool. We need to also know when not to answer a fool. Just because someone wants to engage in a political conversation, or should I say a debate with us, that doesn't mean we need to take the bait and engage. Because usually we come out of those kinds of squabbles, uh, um, really not better off, which is why the Bible tells us do not engage in conversations over petty things and words and, and getting caught up in those things because they increase to ungodliness. So, so pick your battles is what I'm trying to say in this season. Pick your battles. Jesus lived like he believed in the sovereignty of God. In other words, my times are in the hands of God, not in the hands of man, not in Herod's hands, not in the Pharisees' hands. My times are in the Lord's hands. So therefore, he lived like he believed God was on the throne. And I know during this political season, we've been hearing that a lot. God is on the throne. And that is true. But we need to be careful when we say that, because sometimes when we say that, it is said in such a way where people expect the oppressed to accept their conditions because God is on the throne. You know, don't, don't worry about trying to do activism and change things. Just accept it because God is on the throne. So if the election doesn't come out in your favor, hey, man, God is on the throne. And usually when this is said, it's usually said in such a way where once again, people with less power are, are, are called to accept the conditions. But there's a flip side to this. Because not only should the oppressed realize, man, God is on the throne, he's in control, mm -hmm, but I'm also going to work and I'm going to vote and I'm going to do the things I need to do, but I trust that he's on the throne. But, but we're not the only people that need to hear that. The oppressor needs to know and hear that God is on the throne as well. So what I mean by that is when we say that God is in control and God is on the throne, yes, that encourages the oppressed, but it should also discourage the oppressor. This term is used to pacify the oppressed and not to terrify the oppressor. So when we talk about God being in control, you better watch out how you treat or mistreat his people. Ah, so Jesus lived his life like he was in control and he ignored Herod the fox. Well, y'all, I done worked up a sweat and I'm at my conclusion right now. And that is from the example of Jesus, we see that there is a time 
for prophetic preachers, not pathetic preachers, but prophetic preachers to call out politicians who act like foxes and their followers who act like cowards. Yeah, that's right. There comes a time for us to call out politicians who act like foxes and their followers who act like cowards. Mm. And that's why um, I don't get invited to a lot of things. Uh, these unity rallies, which are usually Republican rallies in disguise, I don't get invited to them because people know that, man, I don't bow down at the altar of Trump. I don't worship Trump. I don't worship the Republican Party any more than I worship the Democratic Party or bow down at their altar. I bow, bow down at the altar of God. I worship the one true and living God. And as I said at the beginning of this message, I have no problem speaking truth to power on either side to anyone at any time about anything because I serve the Lord and so do you. So if you're listening to this message, don't let the fox or his followers fool you. You know, Herman Cain got fooled by the fox. Because many times foxes don't believe in wearing masks because that's a sign of weakness or you believe that the virus isn't real or it's a conspiracy or it's an infringement upon your rights. So you, 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 you don't wear a mask. Forget loving your neighbor, you know, but, but you, you're not going to wear a mask. Well, Herman Cain attended a rally of Donald Trump. And uh, as a result, he was exposed to the coronavirus and a man his age ended up dying from the virus. And it's so sad because he didn't have to die that day or die that way. But because he was following a fox, his life ended, in my opinion, earlier than it needed to be. And not only that, from what I understand, that fox uh, in the White House never even offered his condolences publicly concerning the death of Herman Cain, one of his avid African-American supporters, to my knowledge, never even said anything publicly about the man losing his life or wishing, offering condolences to his family. And again, that's the character of this man who doesn't even want to admit that over 230,000 deaths associated and, and, and contributed to co the coronavirus, that he is partially responsible, if not mainly responsible for them. Uh-uh. Or a man who says, you know, hey, yeah, kids have been separated from their parents at the border, but the other administration built the, 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 those uh, fences there. As a matter of fact, the kids have air conditioning, uh, 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 places to stay, it's clean. Where's your heart, man, to think about these kids? So again, I don't know who won the presidency. Maybe I'll find out when I turn this message off on this Thursday, but it doesn't matter because truly, God is on the throne and he's holding folks accountable. And he expects the church to be salt and light and to be representatives of his interests in the earth until his son returns or until we go home. So don't be fooled by the fox or his followers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It needed to be said. And although I rambled, I stumbled, Lord, I pray that you would bless the message anyhow. May people, Lord, who are under the spell of Donald Trump, under the spell 
of the Republican Party, under the spell of politics, under the spell of white nationalism and white supremacy. Lord, I pray that they would have a heart and a desire to be delivered, that they would have a desire to have eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that feels. I pray, Lord, if nothing else, you will save a remnant from that group and bring them to their senses and allow them, Lord, to be strong servants in the kingdom of God, as opposed to being cowardly followers in the kingdom of man. And Lord, I pray your protection on this church, on my family, and on my life for having the audacity to speak this kind of message and to speak this kind of word. I thank you, Lord, because I'm following the example of my Savior who had the courage to speak the truth. And we thank you, God. May more preachers, more pastors rise up and have some steel in their backbone and say what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.